Thank you, John. Great new opening for us. Welcome, everyone. I'm Amy Antonucci, here to get our show started tonight. This is True Tales Live, Zoom edition for April 26, 2022. Thanks to all of you watching and listening, and a special thanks to those here in our live online audience. Our mission at True Tales Live is to provide a space for people to share first-person experience stories, stories that reflect our community's personal and cultural diversity, and help us bridge differences and build understanding and respect for everyone. We are so happy to be here with you, even on Zoom. And we have a few suggestions for making the most of the online format, since we really know that storytelling is an exchange between tellers and listeners, here are a couple ways that you can help us keep that going. If you can keep your video on, if you're comfortable with that, and have big physical reactions again, everyone cheer for the tellers with me, cheer, yay, like that, it's really great for us to get to see that. I know that you have the chat box open, we save and share that with our tellers so you can you know, give them feedback and also put in Q&A questions that you have for our later Q&A. Um, so all of those are open to you. Tonight, we um, bring you Together and Apart Pandemic Stories. Now, for, uh, to, just to let you know, when we charted out this year, we thought we might be in person for this particular show. And we thought it would be a great first in-person theme. And we're not in person. <laughs> Here we are, which uh, is actually also a perfect way to talk about the pandemic. So that is our theme. And we're going to hear stories from Tina Charpentier, Kathy Wolf, and Vicki Uditz, followed again by the Q&A. Pat Spaulding is our MC. She will introduce each teller to you and join me in welcoming in an exciting visual way, Pat Spaulding. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hello, everyone. First up, we have Tina Charpentier from Dover, New Hampshire. She has lived in the seacoast most of her life and was always and still is fascinated by planes flying over Pease Air Force Base. Yes. That's fascinating. In 1982, Tina joined the Air National Guard and spent <laughs> 21 years and 21 days, not that she counted, <laughs> um, with them. And after enlisting in the Guard, she went off to basic training at Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas. An experience, she says, that she will never forget. After hearing her story tonight, especially in light of these COVID times, I'm sure that you won't forget it either. Let's listen now to Tina's story. Move, don't move. Okay, Tina, take it away. Thanks, Pat. So I'm sitting in line waiting to get my COVID shot. I hate getting shots. I mean, it's the pits, right? And even though I'm here with all these other people, I'm still alone dealing with anxious thoughts all on my own. No one is talking. We all have masks on. It's kind of scary. 
Plus, I hadn't been anywhere since the lockdown. So my mind returned me back to when I first got shots in the military nearly 40 years ago. And wow, did we get a lot of shots. <laughs> my first round was at Air Force basic training there in Lackland Air Force Base, Texas in 1983. I'm sure some of you are familiar with basic training, but in case you're not, it's not uh, exactly fun. They do have a big task to bring all of us recruits from so many diverse backgrounds to the same kind of common starting point. It's like a level playing ground, you know? There's rich kids and poor kids, it, it didn't matter. And then they have to build us all back up and with teamwork and confidence and at the same time, prepare us for whatever and wherever we might be expected to go and do. And everything is pretty much controlled by fear and intimidation. For example, when we first got there, they wouldn't let us sit in chairs. We hadn't earned that yet. So we all sat on the floor. See, they break you down, assume you don't know anything. And honestly, some people don't, right? I mean, no, really. It really is basic training. Like they teach you everything from brushing your teeth to tying your shoes even. I mean, it's a gathering place of people from all walks of life and a really amazing experience overall. But also as part of this leveling process, uh, they did a shakedown, right? They, we put everything we brought with us out on our bunk and the training instructor goes through it item by item and tells us what we can keep. The rest gets locked up in our suitcase somewhere until we leave. See, I was lucky because I joined the Air Guard over here at Peace. So the guys there gave me a heads up, you know, bring very little, they said, just stamps and underwear, toothbrush, maybe things like that, which was great advice. But some people uh, brought like two or three suitcases of stuff with them, you know? I mean, they brought hair dryers and makeup and stuff. I mean, did they think this was a vacation or something? Like, like Private Benjamin, right? Like, where were the yachts, you know? Well, our dorm area had two big, huge open space bunk rooms in them with about 24 very uncomfortable single bunks in each. And we also got a folding chair and a locker, you know? That's all. But in every two beds in the row were buddies. That's who your buddy was going to be. And mine was Julie Thiarks. She was uh, from Colorado. She was pretty small, curly blonde hair, you know. Um, so anyways, we had to stand at attention at the end of our beds while Sergeant Honadale, the TI, does a shakedown on our stuff. Well, Honadale, who was perfect for this, this intimidating job because, well, she was kind of scary and intimidating. Well, she had already done like four shakedowns before she gets to Julie. And we could hear him and everything, but we couldn't watch because, well, we're not allowed to move. So I'm standing at attention, which, uh, by the way, is nice and straight. Don't move, right? So I'm facing my two opposite buddies across from me, which are Janet Bach and Ann Pritchett. And they're standing at attention facing me. So we're looking at each other while Honadale's going through Julie's stuff. And Honadale says to Julie, you can keep this airman. Julie says, ma'am, yes, ma'am. The response should always be, ma'am, yes, ma'am, right? So then Holiday says, you know, to Julie again, you can keep this airman. Julie says, ma'am, yes, ma'am. And that goes on a while, but then suddenly, real nice like, Honadale says, you can keep this, okay, airman? And Julie says, Okay, ma'am. Well, that's not the answer, right? That's not the correct answer. She should have said, ma'am, yes, ma'am. So Hunnadale 
gets into Jolie's face, you know, like eye to eye with her and yells, okay, ma'am, are you talking to me, airman? See, poor Julie, she had taken the bait for the sake of the lesson, right? I mean, this response should always be, ma'am, yes, ma'am. We all learned that day. They really mean it. So Hannah Dill uh, sends Julie off to the latrine to yell, okay, ma'am, into the toilet over and over and flush it as loud as she can until she's told she could stop. <laughs> and then I'm next, right? I'm next to my shakedown. How am I going to do this, right? I got these two opposite me trying not to go. I mean, good thing I had a little bit of theater experience in high school where I kind of learned to stay in character, right? Keep a straight face. I, I mean, this whole, so Hanadell's going through my stuff all the while. Okay, ma'am, is going on in the, in the background. So while this is going on, Julie's kind of getting tired. So her voice is fading off a little bit. Right in the middle of everything, Hanadell yells off, I can't hear you, airman. So Julie's like, okay, ma'am. Right on, it just kind of nuts, kind of nuts. So, <laughs> well, the days go by, right? Never a dull moment, things like that. And eventually we get to our shot day. All 40 of us are marched off to some building to get shots. The building we went to was like gray and bland, imposing, not friendly at all. Like the environment was tense. Everybody was tense, Nothing. nobody's relaxed. It's not a relaxing place. Like you could feel the tension in your bones. It was, and I, so I'm waiting my turn. I'm nervous. No, I, I was scared, but because you couldn't talk or anything or move, even though I was there with all these people, my buddies, my unit and everything, I still had to deal with this whole situation completely on my own, in my head. Not an easy place to be sometimes. <laughs> especially with the TIs barking at you all the time, bunch of instructions, right? So, and I try to pay attention, but I'm scared and tired and pretty overwhelmed, which is also a condition they're like, we have to get used to, right? Operating while you're exhausted with a lot of input under duress. It's actually a condition they're training us for. We just didn't know at the time. Well, anyways, for shots, then they use these air guns. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen them. Uh, before, but let me tell you, they're scary. I didn't know anything about them, but you know what? I Googled them. I looked them up for the story. They're called a multi-use jet injector. They did stop using them, but they used compressed air to force a vaccine liquid through your skin without a needle. And they can do multiple shots before they have to like change the cartridge out. So they were pretty efficient, uh, but dangerous too. So the TI says, Keep moving, except for when you get your shot, then don't move or you'll get ripped open. Well, we had another flight going through this whole training program with us, right? In this case, they were guys. They were a bunch of guys that showed up the same time frame as us. Another 40 or so of them going through. They went through a lot of events with us, like the shot day. And one of those guys ahead of us didn't stay still when he should have. So guess what? <laughs> yeah, his arm was ripped open. And of course, you know, they proceeded to use him to demonstrate what they mean by ripped open to reinforce their instructions and all that. So yeah, they bring him out in front of us and they show him he's got a big old tear across his arm. He's bleeding like crazy, he's crying. They're like, this is why you don't move. 
but great, right? We're next. So I'm kind of freaking out even more than I was before, uh, silently, of course, in my head. Move! So I move straight ahead. Don't move! Bang! Move! So I move straight ahead. Don't move! Bang! Move! I move straight. Don't move! Bang! I, I mean, we did this like five times. We got like five shots that day. By the end of that day, even though I made it through that gauntlet without being ripped open, I seriously felt like crap. It was a long day. So was the next one. I, I mean, everybody felt like crap. Anyways, so a few months later, right, I had to get a booster for one of those basic training shots, the typhoid shot. So I had graduated already from basic, and I was in technical training school now over at Shepherd Air Force Base, Wichita Falls, Texas. But we know the drill by now, right? Our shots go, you move, don't move, bang. And I was told the key, you know, we all talked about it. the key to success is to breathe right before the shot and relax and it'll go a lot better. So I was in line, you know, I got my sleeve all rolled up and I'm ready. And I moved up to be next and the air gun ran out of juice and on the guy right in front of me. So they had to reload it. And uh, after they put a new cartridge in, they have to get like air bubbles out or something, I guess, like with a needle, you know, they squirt, squirt, and they always do that and stuff. Well, with an air gun, uh, they have to shoot it once. So they shot it into the trash can right in front of me. It was a little metal round trash can. You know, there it was all relaxed and ready to do this and everything. And bang, right in this trash can in front of me, the trash can does this whole wiggle thing. And I go, what the? And bang into my arm. I'm like, great. Well, I didn't get ripped open, but I certainly wasn't relaxed. And it hurt so bad. I got so sick from that shot. I, I thought, I wonder what actual typhoid would be like. Maybe I'd rather get that, you know? But no, I looked it up. I, I don't ever want to get typhoid, but I, I guess I'm all sad. I don't think I will because I got the shots. But anyway, so then suddenly I get my COVID shot with a needle. Everyone was wicked nice. No one's barking at me. I mean, it was like nothing. I thought, wow, compared to all those military days, that was easy. <laughs> Thanks for putting it in perspective, Tina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that definitely puts good old COVID shot in perspective. If we got a couple of, of photos that we were going to show Amy of the time now, or are we waiting till later? Okay, we're waiting till later. Okay, never mind. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was that was quite the experience. Thanks for taking me through basic training too. I never knew how bad it was. Now I have a little insight. All righty, next up, we have Kathy Wolf. She lives in Kittery, Maine with two cats from Brooklyn. And um, I just added this, her flower filled yard is like an eclectic garden of cheerfulness. I, uh, I say that because I know the yard and I sit there whenever I can. Kathy is a retired writer and editor who has shared Many memorable stories right here at True Tales Live, and will soon have several essays published in a book titled 10 Piscataqua Writers, coming right up. Check it out. I have previewed this book, and it's really good. You'll like it. You know, 10 local writers. 
essays and some poetry and some um, excerpts from novels, good stuff. Her story tonight is titled Behind the Mask. Hmm, I wonder what this could be about. Kathy, can you fill us in? When I was a kid, I loved the Lone Ranger. The silver bullets, the white hat, Tonto, the cry, hi-ho, silver, away! And of course, there was the mask. That romantic, mysterious mask was a long way from the ones we've been wearing for more than two years now. The ones that make our noses itch, our glasses fog, and encourage us to become mouth breathers. We all hate them, right? But some of us, for some of us, our, our relation with our masks is, well, it's complicated. When all this started, the pandemic, I was not thinking about my childhood idol, the Lone Ranger. I wasn't really thinking much at all. I was scared. I knew that every inhale might kill me. And just as terrifying, every exhale might kill someone else. At first, even with a mask on, I held my breath when I passed someone on the street. In the first year, when I went to bed at night and when I woke up in the morning, I would check to make sure my breath was still there, still steady, not not short or ragged or strained. I even bought one of those oxygen meter gadgets. I was worried the oxygen might be slowly draining from my body and I didn't know it. I wonder if we've all had mass dreams sometime or other in the last two years. In, in my most vivid one, it's night and I'm in a crowded bar. No one is wearing a mask. I'm alone, I'm angry, I feel self-righteous and deeply, deeply frightened. But then I realize I also am maskless. I don't even have one in my pocket. I feel naked and ashamed. I wonder if a lot of us also may simply distrust people who are hiding half their face. I mean, after all, going back again to my childhood TV Western days, train robbers wear masks over their noses and mouths, and so so do bank robbers. That notion must have been in the back of my mind one evening last summer. I was vaccinated, double vaccinated, not bothering any longer to wear a mask outdoors. And I was enjoying the gentle, warm air while walking into town. I momentarily forgot about the pandemic. So when I saw three young men get out of a pickup truck, pull on masks and head with determination toward the door of a barbecue restaurant, I immediately thought, "Uh uh-oh, a robbery. A friend from Russia once asked me, with total sincerity, why do Americans smile so much? I did not have an answer for her. But I do know from the little traveling I've done uh, that showing your feelings on your face, whether it's smiles or sneers, is not universal. Maybe the intensity of the mask argument, or at least some of the intensity of the mask argument, comes from the need Americans have not only to smile, but to be seen smiling and to see other people smile. I don't know. In January of 2021, 
I owned 33 face masks. I was embarrassed to actually have counted them. But then adding things up, weeks, months, inhales, exhales, the number of seconds we washed our hands was what a lot of us were doing a year into the pandemic. Along with alphabetizing the spice shelf and scrubbing the bathroom ceiling. For most of 2020, I just tossed those masks anywhere. But with more than half a million deaths in just the US, it was clear this was not a short-term thing. So I collected all the masks and I put them in a drawer in the kitchen. The collection soon outgrew the drawer. Now they're in a large plastic container. I have 130 face masks. Yep, I counted them again. That does not include all of those that are stuffed in just about every pocket of every coat and pair of pants that I own. In 2021, I had a dozen of those, you know, baby blue hospital masks. Now there are 80. You know, uh, this plus one lovely rainbow paper mask. I also have six black masks with guaranteed to break ear loops. 34 KN95s, probably all of them counterfeit, but I don't really want to know. Five expensive aerodynamically designed masks, you know, that kind. Two masks I've never used, although I pulled one out tonight, uh, that have see-through plastic over the mouth. I don't think I'll ever use those either. I finally retired my one and only N95, next best to a gas mask, I was told. It had gotten just too scuzzy, even for me. I never color coordinated my masks with what I was wearing. I didn't really go in for fashion or political statements across my face, but I always admired people who did. Not long ago, I saw a woman wearing a blue and yellow striped mask in support of Ukraine. When I wanted to dress up, I would put on one of my, my happy floral print cotton masks. They have pouches in them for filters, either, either vacuum cleaner filters or coffee filters that you cut up and stick in. But when I put the filter in, plus the mask, it was absolutely suffocating. So someone gave me a plastic muzzle to hold the mask away from the face. Unfortunately, it just kept slipping. And when I would wear it, it would make me feel, well, muzzled. So now I stick with the paper masks. My relation to masks has changed in the past two years. I still don't really like wearing them, but I've discovered some advantages such as anonymity, a feeling that can at times be actually comforting. Also, if I don't recognize someone I should, I can blame it on their mask or on my eyeglasses fogging up. Just last night, someone told me they like wearing masks in the grocery store because they could talk behind them and no one would hear them. I told her actually they could hear them, but anyway, I can forego lipstick and waxing my chin and I don't have to worry about whether or not there's a thread of spinach between my teeth. Of course, relating on Zoom cancels out all those advantages. More seriously though, I have found that COVID in masks have changed my relationship with my own breath. I have become aware of the bits of air that I take in and release from my body roughly 21,600 times a day. 
Before the vaccine, as I already mentioned, that awareness came with the understanding that every inhale could kill me. But over the long months, I also started considering that every breath also keeps me alive. It was a contradiction that offered both dread and oddly wonder, perhaps even delight. Most surprising though, was a closeness I sometimes feel with my breath behind the mask. I'm familiar with being conscious of breath. I take yoga classes, so there's, I've been told of the victorious breath and the one breath, one movement, and every breath is significant. And in meditation practice, there is the advice to return to your breath. As I breathe in, I am aware I am breathing in. As I breathe out, I am aware I am breathing out. But behind a mask, I have found an inescapable intimacy with my own breath. Before my exhaled breath leaves for the bigger world, it lingers just a moment and gently kisses me goodbye. Each inhale focuses a pulse of coolness on my nostrils and my upper lip. It brings the scent of soap or breath mint or even the accumulation of a day's worth of exhales. Too many no hug, no touch months have added a gentleness, a tenderness to this newfound intimacy. So despite the itchy nose and the foggy glasses and despite the inability to see other people's smiles, I have come to view masks as less despair than hope, less burden than prayer. And I've decided not gonna throw mine away. I'll put some aside in a bag for future use. The rest though, I plan to string together as prayer flags and hang them across my garden to blow in the breeze. A reminder of breathing, of intimacy, of life, and of survival. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Kathy. I think that uh, those masks have um, made you a better Buddhist. <laughs> I feel like a better Buddhist just hearing this story. <laughs> and I look forward to seeing the masks of um, prayer flags in your garden. They'll match really well, all the flowers and vegetables. Thank you. Next up, we have Vicki Uditz from Burbank, California. She's performed at theaters and festivals all across the country and beyond. She's been a teller at the National Storytelling Festival in Jonesboro, Tennessee, and will be featured at the upcoming Toronto International Storytelling Festival. Vicki performs frequently at Moth Story Slams, and her story, Dancing at Joe's, has aired on the Moth Radio Hour. A while back, during the height of the pandemic, she discovered something. <laughs> and that is, you never know when a new friend may walk into your life, leaving you forever changed. Ain't that the truth? Let's find out more in Vicki's story, Creatures of the Night. Come on up. Vicky. Okay. 
It's August 2020. And I haven't left my house for several days. And it's not just the virus. Outside in Burbank, it's over 100 degrees. And the air quality, according to Weather Underground Online, is very unhealthy, all caps, due to fires burning just north of Los Angeles. Now, the truth is, yes, I've barely left my house for the past five months, but to not even be able to open the door, to not see another living soul, it's a little overwhelming. At this time, the president of the United States decides that he will destroy the post office to suppress the vote. Okay, I care about voting deeply, I do. But selfishly, also at this time, I'm a person who pays their bills by mail. Oh my God, I am going to have to leave this way of life behind. Okay, so I begin. All right, my gas bill. I need a username and password. Username. Oh, here's one. Are you effing kidding me? One, two, three, question mark, question mark, question mark. Password. Up yours, 45, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. So satisfying. I do all of my accounts. By 2 a.m., I have finished. I've gone paperless. I'm up. I'll bake. Oh, yes, at this time, we're all baking. I can barely cook, but I'm baking. I go to the grocery store, and usually there's no flour at all. They're sold out, or they're rationing it. They've just got a little bag this big, but I've got it. I have my flour. So I go to my laptop to find a recipe. Now I can barely cook, so it's going to have to be six ingredients or less. I find something with four ingredients. Rosemary shortbread. Flour, got it. Butter, check. Sugar, check. Fresh rosemary, right outside. So I go to my patio door to go outside and harvest the rosemary, and I see dark shapes moving around the edge of my swimming pool. I turn on the patio light. Oh, it's a mother raccoon and her three children. They're romping around the edge of my pool. They are putting their paws in the water and splashing. These animals are ecstatic. I call to my cat, Laura. She comes over and hisses fiercely. I remember getting in that pool with my kid when they were small. We would splash. I don't, I don't get in the pool now because... I can barely swim. And a person who lives alone and can barely swim really should not get in a swimming pool because they could die. I, I'm, I'm a little jealous of the raccoons. I mean, they don't have to think about the virus or the post office or the president of the United States. They are not gonna have to sit through the Democratic National Convention thinking, how did we get to the place where Joe Biden was the only person on the face of the earth who could save us from everything? A dog barks and the raccoons take off. Here is my chance. I open the patio door. Oh, the smoke. Oh my God, those poor raccoons. I run out to that rosemary bush. I get the sprigs of rosemary. I bring them inside. And I get out a very big knife, very sharp. And I hack up the rosemary and I hack up the butter. So satisfying. I make the batter and I put the batter into the cups of a muffin tin. Now this thing, only takes 20 minutes to bake. Fantastic. So I turn on the oven, pop in that tin, ding, it's done. I turn off the oven and I take out the tin. Out of the corner of my eye, I see something moving beyond the glass of the kitchen window. <gasps> it's that mother raccoon. She's back and she's standing on her hind legs and she's swaying back and forth. And she's looking at me with those black eyes and that black mask, her fur so smooth as it brushed. She's speaking, chittering, chattering. What? What? I scream out. Oh, she throws back her head and laughs. It's the shortbread. 
She wants it. I get out a big spoon and I scoop out one of those little rosemary shortbreads and then I open the patio door just a crack and I throw that shortbread out there. I swear to God, this animal makes a sound like a whistling tea kettle. She is some Amazonian wildlife warrior queen. My cat is howling. That mother grabs a shortbread and she takes off. I think, all right, I'll have a little shortbread myself, make a cup of coffee. I'll wait for the animals to come back. But they don't come back that night or the next or the next. I miss them. I call my kid who's at NYU in New York City. I say, hi, honey, are y'all right? And they say, yes, mom, I'm fine. How are you? There, there was a family of raccoons here and they haven't come back. I'm sad. Mom, remember when we watched that funny TV show and you felt better? Yes. Why don't you watch something? All right, we hang up. I think, okay, all right, all right. I'm, 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 gonna, I'm gonna look for a movie about raccoons. And I find one, the 1969 Disney classic, Rascal, starring Billy Mooney. Now in this movie, no, this is true. In this movie, Billy Mooney is out and about and he finds an orphaned raccoon and he brings him home and he calls him Rascal. And Rascal rides around in Billy Mooney's bike basket. Rascal rides around on Billy Mooney's head. Rascal jumps up on Billy Mooney's bed and curls up like a cat. But the day comes, of course it does, when Rascal needs to go off and start a life of his own. And so, so Billy Mooney puts Rascal in a canoe. And he paddles upstream and he sets Rascal free. It is heartbreaking. And I think, oh my gosh, I, I bet Rascal was a real raccoon. And I look on Wikipedia, yes, yes, Rascal was a real raccoon. And he lived in a house in Edgerton, Wisconsin. And you can go there because it's a museum. You can go there and see Rascal's high chair. I want to go to Egerton, Wisconsin. I cannot even leave my house. Days go by, days and days and days go by. And one evening at dusk, I see the mother. She's on her own. The kids have up and gone. They grow up so fast. The smoke is gone, but it's still hot. She gets a drink from the pool. I think how similar we are. Not like me and the cat. Laura never had any children. This is a single mom on her own. And she pads off into the bushes. And I don't see her the next night or the next. So finally, I order a little raccoon online. And I call her Lil Mama. And some nights, okay, every night, little mama and I and Laura the cat, we sit at the kitchen window and we watch and we wait. <laughs> oh boy. Um, 
<laughs> that brought tears to my eyes of um, mostly I was laughing, but also kind of deep, deep felt, you know, feelings for that raccoon. Ultimately, I think this is a happy ending. I actually kind of liked it when Rascal goes off in the canoe. I mean, that's 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 a good mode of transportation for uh, a raccoon. I would have liked to have paddled him. That would have been, uh, yeah, I would have liked to be, you know, at the helm with Rascal. Um, <laughs> Sam, I think you're, you might want to un, you might want to mute. I'm seeing you. Okay, um, can can you mute? Well, I guess um, that's that's our three stories. And um, Amy, yeah. Uh, are you are you on now? I am. All right. I Thanks, am. everybody. <laughs> so remember, we now have a little bit of time for some Q&A. So this is where you all get to ask some questions of our tellers. Um, I've got my chat open so I can start looking. We do also have a few pictures to share. Um, and wow, yes, I agree, Penny. It was it is was delightful stories tonight, which I don't know that we quite expected that when we put out the theme pandemic stories. Who knew they'd be so much fun? <laughs> oh gosh, uh, you just never know. So yeah, how about um, you all think on questions? but i will do a little bit of sharing we'll start with tina because she was our first teller we're going to get to see a few pictures of tina back in the day when she was waiting in those lines right um i don't know if you care which which order they go in tina uh, here's one is uh, i'll i'll get it for you don't worry it's a little blurry but you'll still know who it is here we go So you're you're the one on the on the well left. Yeah, yeah. I'm the one on the left, and that's my buddy Julie Thyax on the right. Oh my gosh, that is quite a picture. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go grab another one. Uh, here's one where you were gonna be. I don't know if this is actually in the line, waiting for the shot, Tina. It, Let's it, take it, a look. It, it, this is exactly what it looks like. Yeah. yeah look at so that's Ann Pritchett. That's oh. my buddy that's opposite me right in front of me there. And that's one of the guns. And uh, it's funny because they give us like a yearbook when we get out of there. But there's this little section of like two events. There was like the PE thing and this. This is what they decided to take pictures of for <laughs> our unit. Right? right. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Wow. Wild. And I can, I mean, that look on you can totally see how everyone's trying to be really Zen about it. Just breathe and be calm. I can totally see that. Yeah. And you're alone in your head. I mean, you can't talk to anybody. Yeah. Wild. Wild. Um, all right. I'm going to look here for some questions. 
Okay. Nothing yet. So now let's um, take a look at a photo. Actually, do, Tina, there is one other. Would you like me to just show that one too? You might as well. Yeah, okay. Uh, Grab it and get it open. Screen share. Everybody should experience this person. Okay. Screen share is a little clunky, as y'all know, but here we go. This was your commanding officer, is that right? Oh, no, no, that's the TI that was doing the shakedown. That's Honadel. What's TI again? The, uh, training instructor. Okay. And they have like they have the, like those little taps on their shoes, so when they're coming through, they so when they march you, you can keep step with them. Oh. But really, I think it's to intimidate you, so when they walk, you can hear them like in the room. You know, everything's intimidating. And see, they have the Smokey the Bear hat, and I swear to God, Julie said the hat was touching her forehead when mm -hmm. Hanadel got in her face that day. Wow. She's pretty scary. Yeah. I bet she's nice, right? I mean, I don't know. Her job was to be scared. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, thanks for pulling those out so that we could see them and experience yeah, she, that. She was the one with the okay ma'am in Julie's face. Yeah, yeah. Speaking to me, Airman. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um. Yes, Pat, she's the one with the okay ma'am punishment. Exactly. She looks like you, Tina. Penny, Penny wanted you to know she looks like you. <laughs> um, great. So I am now going to share a photo from Kathy. You all might guess what it is, but I won't. Um, I won't give it away. Here we go. Screen share. And I swear Kathy's in that picture. <laughs> Kathy, do you want to comment at all on uh, on the photo here? What we're looking at? I, I want to thank Bill Burtis for taking it. <laughs> Number one. Um, yeah, no, sometimes the choices are overwhelming. <laughs> oh, and remember, there was a, a stage early on when we some people were wearing goggles because we weren't sure whether that was also um, right. a way. And, and washing vegetables and hand sanitizer everywhere, which still seems to linger now. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah that's, that's the plastic box of, of, uh, of masks. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. So have you started making your, um, no, no, I think Pat was hoping I would, so I could hold it up, but I hadn't quite gotten together yet. I'm too busy turning dirt over in the garden as opposed to <laughs> decorating it. But. Good for you. That's good. I, uh, I approve. Um, just remember when you make that to cut all the loops. Remember? Why? So it'll fly better? Or so it'll... Because wildlife are getting, those are ending up out in the world and in the sea and critters are getting their heads, just like in the drinking can. Oh, right. It's supposed to cut any loops like that because there's been a problem with wildlife getting stuck in it. We learned that John, I think, brought that to his show a few, gosh, uh, now I don't know, maybe, maybe a couple of years ago by now. 
So uh, I've, got, I've got a question. Anybody else out there, and you can do it in the chat or raise your hand, buy one of these things to test your oxygen? Yes, good. Two, one, two, three. Okay, good. I don't feel quite so weird then. <laughs> done it. Uh, Pat wanted you to know that you look a bit like Darth Vader in that photo. <laughs> she wants you to feel good about yourself, so she wanted to tell you that. Um, so here's He's a question. The most notorious mouth breeder in history. <laughs> mouth breather, breather. <laughs> good point. Um, so Kathy, what was the purpose or is the purpose of that mask that you Pat, I'm not sure yet. What was the purpose of the oh, mask? You can the see-through? The, the see this yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, had a, I, I have a friend who's deaf, and he's having a hard, hard, hard time, or had a hard, hard time from COVID. So I kept thinking I would wear it when I visited him, but I kept forgetting. So I, you know, <laughs> I never put it to use. But that's part of the idea, is that um, I think one of the things a lot of us have learned through this thing is we I think we all tend to read lips more than we know we do yeah you know because have you noticed even when people are speaking clearly if you can't see their mouths you don't always understand what they're saying it's just so well that's a great point I yeah absolutely and I have noticed for myself that it is harder to understand people when I can't see their faces um, which I've always hated the phone and now I think I understand why? Because my my feeling on Zoom is so different than on the phone. I'd much rather Zoom with people than phone with people or whatever. And um, we'd like you to 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 put it on and give us a report on your oxygen levels. <laughs> <laughs> is that really a request? <laughs> Ar Arnie's Arnie's concerned about you. <laughs> he shouldn't be. I already got the minutes done for the meeting we were at the other night. But let's see. Here's the oxygen thing, and it says that I have, it just takes a second. Okay, 93 and 96, which is pretty good. A little bit high on the pulse, but um, clearly, right. clearly I still got oxygen. All right, good. We're, you're still with us, and we're thrilled. And there's the mask. Um, oh, and Anne noted that teachers and speech therapists have been using this kind, too. So oh, really? yeah, really? that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I hadn't Problem is, it isn't a very good mask. <laughs> right. it doesn't yeah. stay on very well. Yeah, but there's probably better models. Yeah. So I have a question for Vicky here. Good. Now I know Vicky's going to be interviewed by David in a little bit, but there are some questions here. Uh, first of all. Did you ever make it to the Sterling House in Wisconsin, or are you planning on going if you haven't yet? Tell us about that. Oh my gosh, I have yet to get on an airplane, um, and I live in California. I have driven somewhere. I did drive to San Francisco, so I have not been to that incredible place. It is on my bucket list. <laughs> and I want to know, uh, have you seen the raccoons lately. Oh my gosh. Yes. I think, you know, this, that was like, that was 2020. So now we have a whole new crew um, and they, they come in the middle of the night and they, they play with certain items out there. So even if I don't see them, I know that they've been there. I see that their toys are all scattered. 
what other wildlife have you connected with? I know that, well, I'm always, I'm always an outdoor kind of checking out critters person. Um, but I know for some folks, this has been a time they've done a lot more of that. Who else have you met in your neighborhood? Oh, well, I, I still don't really leave the house a whole lot. So it's right here in my house, possums, skunk, lizards, all kinds of birds and squirrels. Everybody comes right to me. <laughs> lizards. Oh, yeah. I'll bet you have more lizards out there in California than we do. We just had our um, salamander crossing brigades out there. We had a, the, the big night here when they all try to get back to their vernal pools. What kind of lizards do you have? Oh my, I, I don't know their species or whatever, but they are huge. Like at first you think you're seeing a snake and then you realize, oh yeah, that's just one of our lizards. They're speckled and they're humongous. Cool. I think that's cool. I love critters. I know Tina does too. Creepy crawlies. We're huge fans. Um, and then Pat, Pat would like to know, Vicki, how many of these critters did you feed? I, I do not. I do not. I, although wait, I, that's not quite true. I do put some bird seed out, but I don't put anything out for anybody else. Cause I know you're really not supposed to do that. They're supposed to take care of themselves. And I think there's a lot for them to eat around here. So they're good. Yeah, seems like they're thriving and that's great, great to hear. And possums, yeah, we don't have a lot of possums. They have trouble with our winters and I love possums, so I'm jealous. And they're super good tick eaters. I don't know if everyone knows that. Possums, if you have possums, you, you wanna keep them around. Um, all right. Checking for any more questions. We are gonna be moving, um, we're very close to the end here. Um, Kathy, are you, have you written this story? Are you going to, in fact, someone wonders if you're, if someone says great picture, Kathy, and it would make a fitting book cover. So, <laughs> is that in, inspiring you to do something yeah, like that? This story started out as an essay about a year ago, um, or was it that long? Yeah. And so I just updated it and tried to make it more a story than amusing. I'm afraid it was still kind of amusing. I mean, um, just an essay-ish kind of thing. But um, no, I, I, I have no plans to do anything with it. Well, you are being encouraged to consider it. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so we are right around the end of um, this part of our show. So I'm gonna note that folks, um, oh, okay, one more, Kathy. Ah, can you tell us a little bit more about the 10 Piscataqua writers and where we can find that book and what Ooh. is coming out? Yeah, um, boy, I'll see if I can find something to put into chat. But um, there was 10 Piscataqua artists. It's already been published. It was is a really beautiful book and 10 Piscataqua photographers that was published. And this one is going to be writers and um, Bill Bird is the poets in it. Meryl Aharonian is the lead a uh, person essayist in it um, and I'm in it and uh, there's a lot of good people anyway um, you can find it online at I think at 10 Piscataqua writers Philip Augustus behind it if you're familiar with the seacoast milieu of writers at all um, let's see what else can I tell you let me I'll see if I can find a connection for it I've I'm supposed to be promoting it but I haven't been um, and it should be for sale uh, there'll be a book signing in 
May, I think, uh, at the Portsmouth Public Library. And for some reason, I want to say May 23rd, but I don't have it in front of me. Um, okay. I'll try and well, look up a couple of things and stick it in right now. Yeah, you do that um, as I, I move on here. Um, just remember to, right here, no, I'll mute you. I can tell you you're forgetting. I am so uh, used to muting people. All right. Thank you everyone for being with us tonight. Special thanks to our tellers, but just as big thanks to our live audience. And Liz, you've been a fabulous clapper and reactor. I have loved watching you in particular, but many of you have been doing it tonight. So thank you. Wow, it's great. We are soon to move to our after story conversation segment where for 15 minutes, David Frainer will interview and talk with Vicki. So get to hear a little more from that wonderful storyteller. Um, but first, before we go to that, I have a few things to update you on. Our next True Tales Live Zoom show is gonna be Tuesday, May 31st, 7 p.m. The theme is One Thing Leads to Another, and it is full. You can register for it at truetaleslivenh.org. The link will be there. We still have space open for tellers for some of our fall shows. Dates and themes are posted on our website. Currently, we are open to seeing about in, being in person in September and October. We already know we'll do November and December back on Zoom. So we'll keep you updated about so that it's the being in person is the tentative part, but we'll keep you in the loop. Uh, we also encourage you as a teller to attend one of our monthly Zoom workshops, usually on the first Tuesdays from 7 to 8.30 p.m. The next one is May 3rd. You can contact us, info at truetaleslivenh.org to find out more about the workshops or becoming a teller. And also truetaleslivenh.org is where you can find the links for the workshop registrations as well. You can watch our shows on Portsmouth Public Media TV, Comcast Channel 98, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m., Saturdays at 1 p.m., and anytime as video on demand or podcast. Again, our website is the place to go to access easily all of those options, truetaleslivenh.org. Let's thank some of those who make this show possible. John Lovering, Pat Spaulding, David Frainer, Sarah Beddingfield, Sam Adams, Kamisha Foley, Tom Osberg, Tina Charpentier. I'm Amy Antonucci, and before we move to the backstory interview of Vicki by David, we are gonna have our, our traditional now, True Tales Dance Party, 60 seconds of movement here to shake off some cobwebs. And this is a great fun, we hope Everyone will turn on their video and it move even a little bit. All right. Even if you want to sit and nod your head, we'll, we'll take it. Um, you might also want to switch to gallery because watching each other is what's really, really fun. And I am going to call on John now to share his audio and give us our party.